0: Now entering
1: the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. back for another week of hashing it out as always I'm your host Dr. Corey Petty with my co-host Colin Couchet say hello everybody Colin
2: hello everybody Colin
1: it's a little early for us today so Colin is a bit groggy it's not so energetic uh, today
2: I'm fine I'm full of pep and vigor what are you talking about (laughs) I'm not I'm not suckling on my coffee like the teat of a mother like I I am I'm full of it I am ready to go
1: all right today's episode we brought some academics on uh we have arthur dominic from Imper- imperial queen's college is that correct imperial college
0: uh, imperial college right yeah okay sorry imperial college.
1: sorry about that hi hi everybody. welcome to the I show can, uh, i want to i this is a uh, this is kind of like a, a we were you were introduced to us from jason from the last episode and we kind of like the research that y'all are doing especially kind of the, in the context of how it fits in with um what he's doing. Why don't we start by each of you introducing yourself and then talking about uh, how you got into the space, and then we'll go into what balanced research is.
2: We'll start with you, Arthur.
0: Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm, um, I did my, I started my PhD. So I'm, I'm a computer scientist. So I did a master in computer security. So I do, do like hacking. Um, and I started in 2012, uh, my PhD in the computer science Department at uh, ETH Zurich in Switzerland, um, where um, where um, basically my main focus was on yeah checking the security of distributed ledger systems such as Bitcoin, um, and I was really fascinated by this this security property of of pushing the trust from like a central node towards a decentralized network, and and having different entities that interact uh, in a trustless manner. I think this was the, the main motivation at the time. Um, I finished my PhD in 2016 um, then did a few months of postdoc launched uh, two startups uh, so one is um, liquidity network, which is a scaling solution and uh, chain security, which does security consulting services for smart contracts. Um, and um, after this, I mean in parallel, I got a um, assistant professor position at Imperial College in London, where we're doing uh, research, so we're going to soon be seven PhD students. Um, mostly focused on distributed ledger security privacy scalability all right
3: how about you dominic hey thanks for having us my name is dominic i'm a phd student at the imperial college <clears throat> and i got into the blockchain space around 2016 with ethereum and the development of dao and i kind of read about it and i thought it was super exciting and it called all came crashing down and that was even more exciting to me (laughs) um so i just stuck with it and um that was the time i i did my master's on distributed systems and then i started my phd in 2017 and i'm working on things like crypto economic protocols and cross-chain interoperability um yeah and i think it's pretty exciting that nowadays we actually have more academics working on this um when i started out and did my master's thesis i was the only strange blockchain guy in the lab surrounded by people who were working on ai and uh, well now it's nice to be surrounded by other academics who also work on these protocols
1: yeah i can definitely say um, coming from the academic background that um, back when y'all started it was weird to do this stuff now not so much it's. I still call it relatively niche in the academic setting, but it's. It's like oh, okay, that makes sense, <laughs> which is awesome to hear. Um, so like the the, the the I guess main topic of today is is this this paper that's um, we've put out uh, balance dash research the c dot ch at the end of that um, that talks about I guess uh, dealing with the deposits for different protocols and how you can maybe minimize how much is required to deposit while maintaining the same level of security. And it looks like it's basically a reputation system. Is that a, is that a, a, like a bird's eye view on how it works, but how it works?
3: Yeah, I think that's correct. So essentially the idea is that you assign like a short term reputation so uh, when you think about other internet reputation systems like on reddit or amazon you kind of have this persistent reputation Um, whereas here you really don't want to long-term trust any agent in the system so the reputation is only valid for a set number of rounds or like a period of time measured in either absolute time or blocks um and since we deal with a pseudonymous system, um, we kind of reset the reputation if you're inactive or you do something that's considered bad.
1: All right, let's, let's actually back it up a little bit. I, I, I want to dig into those details, but first, let's talk about what the issue is and why it's an issue and why this, like, a solution like this would even need to be, would even need to exist. Right, right. So, so
0: yeah, Dominic, all right. will go ahead, um, if you want to. Yeah, if you look at like like protocols such as uh, stablecoins such as Dai, um, uh, cross-chain protocols such as Exclaim, there's a certain collateral involved in order to you um, know in order to feather off cryptocurrency volatility. Um, and um, in 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 general, if you if you have such a protocol where there are certain unknowns, right? Um, for example, as private information, so people. Don't really know um, what other parties, um, what kind of value other parties assign to a particular um, asset, uh, but as well event dependencies. So there might be some events and the price might change. So if you have a, a system where you have these two types of sources of uncertainty, um, then you typically need to over collateralize. So over collateralization means instead of having a hundred percent collateralization. So in a payment channel, for example, you 100% collateralize, right? Lightning, you 100% collateralize, and then you can send the amount of up to this 100% collateralization to your counterparty. But in in coins or like stable coins such as DAI, you over-collateralize. So you collateralize more Ether in terms of US dollar value, then you produce Ether afterwards. And that's because of this volatility of Ether that is behind there um so you don't need to so if if ether if the ether price would go down um you don't necessarily need to top up directly your your die um so-called cdp um before it gets liquidated so it's kind of a safety margin in a sense for these uncertainties that you experience in the system um and you ask what the problem right um so over collateralization costs money Um, because if you, if you lock collateral, if you lock capital, then, well, you could, you could invest the amount in, in alternative investments that might yield higher returns, such as the stock market or other cryptocurrencies.
1: And do you see it as a fundamental issue to like cryptocurrencies in general, like this volatility issue will basically always exist?
0: Um, I mean, um, I believe, I mean, it's, I believe it's, it's an issue, but it's an also an issue, opportunity. Also... Maybe, Dominic, you can share what, what you believe. Yeah, I think um, it
3: will sort of persist um, because we don't really have a stable currency. So we're forced to kind of use this volatility, um, use these volatile cryptocurrencies uh, to ensure against risk. Um, and i think going forward you will have that problem and nobody really knows exactly how much collateral you need that's sort of the other side of the problem Um, so we have some data on like how much cryptocurrencies are fluctuating um, but that's obviously only past data and we cannot say in the future uh, how much insurance we actually need because we don't know the fluctuation in the future and the other problem is that sometimes you know like agents in the system or actors might have sort of motivations to do damage to a currency or have some hidden like bribing attacks um so that you you get these external motivators um so it's not just the fluctuation that's a problem but also these sort of external motivations um and for that, even if you have a stable currency, uh, bribing will still be a okay. case. So for a certain set of protocols, you will need to have over collateralization.
1: Yeah, you say like part of it, I guess part of your measure here um, is reducing the amount of, uh, I guess, collateralization um, while maintaining the same level of security. When you say security, what does that, what does that mean? What do, you, what do you mean by security?
3: Ah, great question. Uh, So that is against a economically rational actor. So uh, we assume that you care about your loss um, that you are facing um, when you cheat and misbehave. So under the same level of security means that um, if Alice and Bob, uh, if those are two actors, and Alice is like sort of in a higher collateral level, so let's say at at uh, 200%, and Bob is at 180%, for example, and assuming that you implemented the balance protocol, then the utility for Bob and Alice cheating should exactly be the same thing. So um, if Bob has a reduced collateral, Bob shouldn't get any additional payoff from misbehaving. Um, And we use a specific trick for that because we reduce collateral but only to like a lower bound that depends on the opportunity cost so security in that sense we say is bound by the economically rational actor and um the other property that we achieve is for like uh, an unbounded adversary so um, an adversary that has infinite funds um that adversary should actually cheat right away in the balance protocol so while that adversary is still at like the highest level if that adversary wants to cheat and misbehave in the protocol that guy should do that right away without reducing uh, his his or her collateral first
0: yeah I would like to add uh, the the rationality assumption is something very common within um, blockchain security papers in general um, it's questionable whether it's a legitimate assumption because um, people are not always rational as, as you, you know. Um, so we could also try to assume like maybe just a Byzantine adversary, um, but it, it gets much harder to, to prove properties if you, if you typically relax these assumptions. So that's why I think rationality makes sense from a yeah, mathematical point of view, but it's true that in, in the real world, this might not always apply um, yet, most of the blockchain security papers, like also those that, that uh, discuss, for example, layer one security, like uh, the, the security of a, of, a, of a transaction that is not being forked away, for example, um, typically all rely on, on the rationality assumption.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that's kind of, it definitely is ubiquitous across um, most of the assumptions we make when doing, uh, when trying to align incentives or doing mechanism design. have to it's
2: not just limited to cryptocurrency i mean that's that's an economic problem milton friedman talked a lot about it like he's he was very proponent of of doing rational actors but he was like this is why we have to this is the only option we really have and if we did anything else it would just be absolutely chaos so i mean it's it's a it's a fair assumption
1: yeah i guess you could make the assumption and then try and do make the mechanism work in such a way in which you Uh, mitigate as much risk to the non-rational actor right it's 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 if you make it overwhelmingly like um inefficient to behave irrationally then people will tend towards acting rationally
2: you can simulate non-rational behavior but you can't model it it's very difficult to model it and so when you build the models around what you're doing you build it around the ideal system and then see how it withstands this irrational attack science yeah (laughs) Well,
3: that's yeah, it. actually, in balance, in balance, what we do in our assumption of the adversary, we actually make an assumption that um, if we have an irrational adversary that doesn't care about his uh, economic damage, um, that adversary doesn't gain anything uh, if if balance is in place, uh, because for such an adversary, it doesn't make sense to reduce the collateral in the first place.
1: Let's uh, let's 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 like actually walk through, um, the protocol and how it works. Like, let's say like, this is, this is brought up because Truebit was interested in what you guys are doing. How would Truebit implement what you're talking about? Let's do it. It's like step-by-step step in terms of like, what, what would they do? And then, um, how would it, like, how would it work?
3: Mm, okay. Um, so step-by-step, step. uh, the, uh, the paper has sort of an update on that. And, and we'll have uh, that in
1: the, in the show notes as well so people can read it. It's yeah. relatively short. I recommend anyone who's listening to this to go read it. It takes 10 minutes at most.
3: Yeah. So the website is relatively short. And then if you look at the, the main paper, like in section seven, there's like a step-by-step thing. Yeah. Um, so what we are... Or well, what we need in Truebit, uh, we first need to understand what are the roles, what agents do we have. So in, in Truebit, you essentially, um, you have the, um, the person or the agent who is requesting to solve a computation, and then you have the solvers in the ideal case where we don't have a dispute. Um, and how it would work is basically, um, we would say that applying balance, uh, we would need to first determine a couple of external factors to calculate how much we can reduce uh, the collateral so first we make an assumption that there is an opportunity cost for locking up your deposit Um, and that opportunity cost is an external parameter that you somehow have to determine Um, so um, the potential interest that you could earn somewhere else um, if you look at something, uh, I think there's a website called uh, Loan Compare or something that looks at DeFi protocols and how much interest you can earn. Um, I think they have for like dial loaning, they have around 13% a year. So that could be an indicator for this return rate. Um, and then you need to determine a discount factor. So any kind of future value that you're going to earn as an agent is going to be discounted because future money is always um sort of worth less than what you have today um and you need to make an assumption about what that discount factor delta is and in the paper in i think we're using standard uh 0.9 so you discount by 10 percent for the next uh steps um and then we want to sort of determine actually what actions do we want to reward so what are positive things and in the TrueBit protocol, positive things would be uh, solvers actually providing correct solutions that are unchallenged. Um, we would need to, I would need to be thinking around how it would work in the dispute case, because we want to reward for sure uh, disputes um, that are triggered if the solution is actually incorrect. Let's just, and let's just keep wanna... it simple
1: and assume that there's basically two different behaviors, a good one and a bad one.
3: Yeah, so if it's a good one and a bad one, it's essentially just providing a correct solution is rewarded and providing a false solution would be uh, discouraged. And uh, I think in the TrueBit protocol, you already um, balance. What balance does is essentially it uh, would be integrated in the TrueBit functions. So if you think about it in a low level way, if your TrueBit function evaluates to true, then that means it's it's like positive. And if your attribute function uh, evaluates to false, uh, that means it's negative and uh, you would just sort of forward that results to the balanced smart contract and the balanced smart contract would then say, oh yeah, this was a good action. And this was a bad action. When a good action happens, uh, the agent is rewarded with a score. And if the score is high enough, then the agent can progress to the next layer and each layer Represents a collateral value. Um, So you have to think about it almost like a sportly kind of system, right? So you start at like the lowest uh, layer with the highest amount of collateral. And as you make your way through the layers, you can reduce your collateral over time until a certain upper bound. So, or well, lower bound in that case. So um, at the highest layer, you will have the lowest collateral. So every time a trubit like a solver provides a correct solution, um, you could, for example, progress to the next layer and then thereby reducing your uh, your collateral. You would also need to specify in which time frame this happens. And since uh, balance is fairly new, and also trubit is new, and the whole space is kind of new, um, it I guess it takes a bit of tweaking um to determine how long that period is because the shorter you set the period technically the faster the agents can progress through the layers um but you in in the tribut case you want to make sure that agents actually have a chance to perform an action in a round so you need to make sure that there's actually computation problems available in the tribut system that solvers can actually solve um because without that
1: like, like almost like a balance of um you need to do enough good behavior to benefit from the e- economics of misbehaving at a high tier that's like a, it's a trade-off because yeah. like what you said earlier is that um a, the like the unbounded irrational actor or or, or misbehaving actor is better off um, misbehaving right as he enters the protocol as opposed to gathering the reputation, getting through the layers, reducing his collateral, and then acting poorly. Is that, why is that the case?
3: Uh, so uh, essentially, um, say you um, you need five rounds. Let's, let's say a super simple system, right? Uh, even OK, even more simple. Uh, we just have three layers, right? You start at the lowest, then you make your way to next one, and then in the third layer, you reach the lowest level of collateral. Um, so, when you do these three rounds, um, you still have the collateral locked up, right? So, in each round, even though you reduce it by a little bit in each round, you, you had collateral locked up for three rounds. And now, you could decide, basically, am I going to cheat now or not? But the adversary is going to decide, if I know in the first round that I actually I want to cheat, um, then I'm going to calculate, you know, how much cost does incur for me to lock up my collateral for three rounds, even if my total damage is less. And the trick that we do is basically saying, okay, if I need to lock up this collateral and I could use my collateral to earn some interest somewhere else, um, then we reduce the collateral only by this, or by less than what you could earn somewhere else. So looking at being at like the, the, the lowest layer with the highest collateral, um you're gonna make that decision at at that point and if at that point you're actually behaving honest um it doesn't make sense to you know misbehave in the further rounds and if you do want to cheat um the cost of going through the layers will be higher because of these opportunity costs um than to actually cheat right away
1: okay and then uh, have you seen like this work in action is this something that has been implemented somewhere? So I mean, I, I'm kind of curious as to um, how something grow- like if, if this were be implemented and it grows, what are the emergent properties that kind of come out of it? What could I what basically what could I data mine out of this? Um, what what kind of information could I glean from a um, system working as intended? with the different like numbers of layers of people? Because you have a smart contract of people with different reputation and assuming some type of publicly attached to that reputation. Is there something that I could pull from that that um, may be beneficial to me outside of, like being outside of the system or to use it to gain the system? (laughs)
3: Uh, Yeah, great question. Um, So it's a paper for now. It hasn't been implemented in the wild and I'm super curious to see how it would actually behave in the wild. because, so we make some assumptions about like these opportunity costs, discount factors, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, the big question is like: um, first, do these assumptions hold the reality of the world? Um, and the other case is: uh, will people actually find a way to gain game the system? Um, we we have like formal proofs in the paper that this shouldn't be possible technically, um, but there's always this clash of theory and reality. So um, I'd be quite curious to see an actual uh, implementation in the wild and see how how sort of people would react to it.
2: What's the path to getting that implementation happening? Um, are you? I noticed you know uh, we were recommended. Uh, you were recommended us by Jason from TrueBit. Are they implementing your protocol? Who else is getting involved in this? Um, are you thinking maybe throwing up your own product to uh, prove this out? What is what is the thought process there?
0: Um, I mean, we haven't discussed anything concrete with uh, Jason yet regarding that. But um, if there is um, true interest, I believe we could we could discuss this potentially. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I haven't we haven't basically decided anything yet um, on that end. Well, but it's the true... ideal
2: um... oh sorry, go ahead. I thought you were done. Uh, yeah,
0: but it's true, right? If you if you can really reduce collateral um, substantially, like in Xclaim, we can reduce it up to ten percent. Um, this this does lower costs significantly. And um, yeah, um, you can you can see it in many of these locked up protocols, they they do suffer. I mean, you, you can get more revenue basically. You can maximize your revenue if this would work. But I agree, like with Dominic, we should be quite careful um, in general with reducing collateral, nevertheless, because there might be some other types of vulnerabilities that are outside of the system, even or like like things that I'm looking at today. I uh, just talked to Dominic also today. If you look at like, um, I mean, dye is being produced by collateralizing ETH, then ETH, then this dye is being lent on compound, and then who knows what happens with compounds. So what happens if a CDP actually gets um, um, liquidated to the to the C dye, for example, right? There there could be like a a, a chain reaction of something will happen. Um, so uh, in general, uh, it's more complex and, um, I think I mean from my side at least I find it very exciting to 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 bring academic projects into the real world so that's what what I've done for example with liquidity network um, and you realize there are many things that you need to take care of that that maybe uh, the paper hasn't thought of which is very normal I think but still you need this initial initial uh, research work thanks yeah, so, I feel like
1: I mean' I've just one one consequence of progressing through the tiers of the system. Um, You'd have to set the initial the initial layer, the the highest uh, collateralized right layer, to be the almost most inefficient version of over of, of collateralization, and the last layer should be the most efficient because you don't want to progress through a cheaper and cheaper um, collateralization layers to get to a point where it's no longer secure um, in the sense that like. You're you you're, you're at risk of being liquidated because you have such a low overcollateralization based on the volatility of the underlying asset. Like if we look at how DAI is made right now, it's overcollateralized because Ethereum is or Ether is is relatively volatile. Let's say we, it implemented a system like this, and I, slowly but surely I gathered through the layers, and my collateralization was like really really easy for me to make a bunch of DAI, but I was at a much higher risk of being liquidated because of the volatility of F. And finding those types of boundaries, like you said earlier, like no one really knows how much you should be doing is an interesting thing to do because, I mean, in, in the wild, it can turn out that like maybe um, one of the middle layers ends up being the safest place to be because because of this risk of And we don't, it's really hard to get that type of information out of these systems because it's basically the wild, wild west. And adding systems like this at least gives you um, some finer grain resolution as to where the hotspot might be.
2: So, are other people's yeah. collateral used to support your 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 yours? Is that, is that what's going on here? Um, so, like, yeah, how can you get down to like? I noticed um, a, a picture. I don't know how relevant the picture is, but it looks like the collateral drops to like literally one to one. It's uh, tunable.
1: It's one of the situations where it's just it's well, a highly tunable I, system. I
2: understand. I understand, but, but how could you possibly do that if? like, yeah, like with the volatility at all, um, uh, unless the, like you can, the people paying two to one were kind of supporting the people paying one-to-one. One. Is that even what's going on there? Or what? what's the situation? How, how does that, am I misunderstanding something?
3: Uh, yeah, so uh, they're, uh, g- great questions. Um, the There's a couple of points here. Um, so uh, one, point for sure is um where's that sweet spot of collateral um where can we actually find that and maybe it's even in the middle layers uh, like you said corey so it might not be at the lowest layer and that's also where you need to carefully consider which actions do you actually want to reward for reducing um the collateral because if we take for example diet right um so say you get close to that liquidation threshold um and now you fill up your collateral again to make it above uh or to be have a safer margin do we actually want to reward that kind of behavior because people would actually i think start gaming the system in such a way that they purposely go really close to the liquidation threshold just to get that reward um by you know increasing their collateral and i think thereby we make the system uh, overall, less safe in a sense that we we encourage this behavior, so that's why it needs some quite careful consideration how we actually want to apply balance. Um, and then the second question is, uh, how much can we actually reduce collateral? Um, so what we do in the paper is basically okay. Let's say we have hundred percent collateral at the start. Can we reduce the collateral? And then in the paper we basically say no, we can't uh, because you should never fall uh below 100 percent collateralization at least in the mathematical model that we built for balance and i think the neat trick in what you can do with balance is you have the absolute collateral and the relative collateral and um in the the nice property with balance is uh if at the Lowest layer where your collateral is like the highest. So if you compare two start collateral, say one point five and two, or like one hundred fifty percent, two hundred percent. If you start with one hundred fifty percent, your overall reduction will be less than you can do with two hundred percent. So you can reduce the collateral more when you start out with two hundred percent, but in absolute terms, your starting point will still be higher at the highest layer than if you have started with 150%. So in turn, I think that means, um, you could build systems that start with higher collateral and have a higher reward for doing good actions. And you have overall more safety margin. Uh, since your absolute collateral is still higher.
1: Uh, I see what you mean. Relative to the, the, like the relative being the layer difference as opposed to like um, absolute being how much you put in and how much you're getting out.
3: Yeah, exactly. So basically, um, if if uh, so, in, in one example, parameterization, if you uh, start like with two hundred percent and you have thirty layers, um, that's the example. Um, if if you have the paper in Figure four, uh, basically you can reduce your overall collateral uh, to one hundred seventy-five percent if you have started with two hundred percent. So you get twenty-five percent points less collateral. Um, if you start with 150%, um, you end up at, I think, 135, 137, something like that. So you have less reduction um, overall, um, and you have a like a lower collateral. But that means if you start with something that's higher, um, you could actually, you know, you, you have a higher reward for agents that are actually good. So, if you're a protocol designer and you want to have agents that behave well, and you want to sort of reward them uh, relatively strongly, then you can start with a higher collateral, and in turn, you can reduce it even more.
2: Okay. So let me let me let me just see if I understand this a little better because again, like it's hard to parse through a full paper. We, we do a show every week, yada yada yada. And this is very Absolutely. complicated. Um, so I'm trying to go based off what you're saying and, and understand the you know the very basic dynamics of this. So you can come into a system and you can drop in, say, two times the collateral and get one, you know, two to one die ETH, right? Let's just say that, right? Die value, ETH value, Mm -hmm. whatever. Okay. As you use the system more, the reputation of the, say, die system would give feedback to the balance system, which would then reduce the amount of collateral needed in the future to pull out die is this is this accurate let's just I'm making i'm using i'm picking on die but it could be anything um, is that accurate now the what, the is that correct
3: yes that's correct
2: okay so now the, the the collateral you've already put in the 2 to 1 is still in holding as collateral while you're doing this correct yeah okay so that will remain, and the next time you want to take out dye, it costs you less because of that. And, and the more that you start doing this good behavior and, and staying, staying above you – know, keeping your head above water, um, the lower the amount that you, can, you need to collateralize in order to pull out more dye. So you could put more eth into the contract and then pull out uh, – you know, I'm sorry, less eth into the contract to pull out a near equal amount of dye. You might not always get to like one to one. In fact, it's probably not optimal in most situations that you do, but you you get very close. Whereas right now it's one hundred fifty percent. With die, you can probably get down to maybe one hundred five percent.
3: no, that's the that's a point. Uh, no, that that's um, you. If you start with two hundred percent, you will probably be able to go down to like one hundred seventy five. Um, But you will not be able to go down even with like really aggressive parameter setting. uh, I think you shouldn't be able to go down below like 140 or something. Why? Uh, Because you have, you can only reduce by these, um, uh, well, depending on on a couple of parameters, but the strongest parameter. that sets this boundary is the expected return that you can earn somewhere else um, so let's let's make that example we start with 200 um, percent collateral and let's say on a daily basis we can earn a return of 10% in another protocol like we can we can in, 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 um, increase our earnings by 10% if we uh, participate in some other protocol um, then you can only reduce the collateral up to a lower bound of around 140%. So you can go from 200% to 140 if under the assumption that on a daily basis you can earn a return of 10% somewhere else. If the earning is much lower somewhere else, you can only reduce by a much lower margin. So say you earn like 5% um, in another in a potential other protocol, then you can only reduce uh, to 107. 55 percent um but you can so this is why it's that's necessary for the security of the protocol is that you can only reduce um up to the bound of this opportunity cost if you start reducing the collateral lower than this opportunity cost say, so in your example if you go from 200 percent eventually to like 105 percent then that breaks the security of the protocol.
1: That's interesting because this this um, opportunity cost is dynamic in reality, which means that like the parameterization of whatever your system is would also need to be dynamic. Is that true?
3: Yes. <laughs> so um, there, there's a couple of extensions that, that are not yet or that are currently not in the paper that, um, that we have in the back of our minds. Uh, so one of them is like, um, <sighs> Yeah, so th- this is dynamic. Um, do we need to actually adjust the system on a dynamic basis? But that would introduce a lot of problems, like we need to have some sort of oracle for, for feeding in that kind of data. Um, so that's a bit tricky. Um, maybe it's also you know, fine if we assume that there's an average, uh, and if we don't break out that average too much, it should still be okay. Um, but yeah, these are this is one of the sort of parameter questions, um, that, that makes it, I think, exciting to try this out in, in real world and try to determine the parameters. Um, yeah, so we, we have some done some work on this for the Xclaim protocol to sort of fine tune these parameters. Uh, but it's still it's a bit tricky to, to sort of pin down the actual value. But again, um, the I think the nice property or the advantage of uh, really the advantage of using balance is that if you start with a relatively high buffer. So with a very high starting collateral, then you can reduce more. So it kind of makes sense to kind of push a bit up the, the, the initial collateral that you have to provide, given that you can reduce over time. Um,
2: yeah, that's, that's a tough proposition to sell to somebody though. Um, especially if you're, trying, you're you're trying to vet whether or not a particular asset has value. So it, it literally in in you're 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 putting up a, a barrier to entry on something where we're trying to reduce barrier to entries. How would you suggest somebody um, bootstrap a system that uses your system?
3: Um. So the question is, if that's actually the case, uh, because if you look at DAI as an example, um, I think uh, DAI is a great example because we can actually, we have data, right? And um, the liquidation threshold is 150% in Die, but in reality, you see the actual collateral ratio is somewhere between 300 to almost 600%. So um, I think the people that open the CDPs, um, they try to protect themselves against getting even remotely close to the, to the threshold. So in uh, DAI you could... I think easily set a um a collateral ratio of 200 percent and then if you have good agents and uh they sort of go through the layers and say uh their liquidation threshold could be reduced to 175 percent that gives them uh sort of more uh safety margin and actually provides also a bit more safety for the DAI system um in in if there's some sort of big market crash And in reality, it seems like that the majority, at least from what we see in Dai, is willing to pay a lot more collateral to stay as far away from that liquidation threshold as possible. Um, But then again, I I see your point totally. um, If you want to have efficient collateral, um, saying that, you know, we should actually increase the starting collateral is a bit of a tricky one. Um, But then again, I think it's the, it's sort of the trade-off, you know. Um, and I guess it only also depends a bit what kind of risk you have behind it. So um, in Trubit, for example, uh, it's, it's a bit. Trubit is a great example for this case because um, in Trubit, really the damage that can be done is to the person who provided the computation to solve, whereas in Dai it's kind of to yourself right if you if your CDP gets liquidated um, it's only you suffering from the damage at first Um, but if like a lot of agents do that um, you might get some sort of systematic failures Um, so really we have to be quite careful on how to implement balance and in which way to implement balance and see where these trade-offs come in because uh, for example in TruBit, I don't see uh, a lot of risk for other um for other uh computation providers
2: so one okay so so now my brain's going into product mode and like trying to understand like how this would actually work in reality and i've come up with like one example um of where i could see the collateral being so high and yet they still would want to do this and that's it's actually an nft example um and i don't know if your protocol will support that so let's just say that you keep software licenses on the blockchain. Um, and this software license, Mm -hmm. you you want to rent this software from someone else. Okay. So you have to give them the NFT. They have possession of the NFT, but you want them, they want to be able to just like pay a small amount to actually use it for X number of X X period. Right. And then they have to give it back, um, or incur a fee. Um, I wouldn't i would probably see a really good way of doing that is to just like collateralize the nft let them hold it and then if they're a good actor they return the nft they get reputation in the system and they have they don't have to necessarily collateralize as much going forward but the problem yeah. the system to stay in the layers is that correct
1: you, you need to repeat yourself on that one you broke up on my, my end
2: oh they uh i don't know where i broke up but just that last I'd part they'd have to keep the collateral locked up in order to go up the layers. So that they go down to layer one, right. So, um, is this even a valid use case? What, what, what would you think? Like, again, it's also take going out of the normal, like coin to coin exchange rate system, but like, these are the kind of things where I think, uh, I I could kind of like make real world analogies for how people actually use collateral.
3: Right, so just to make sure I understand correctly, so basically you have a software license that's an NFT, and um, you are renting this out to someone and that someone provides a collateral uh, to make sure that it's returned uh, once you're finished with it? Yes. Yes. Okay, and then if I return it correctly and then I can reduce my collateral over time with other software providers.
2: Yeah, but do I, does that actually work that way? Because the reason I ask is, don't you have to keep the collateral locked up in order to reduce the value of the collateral that you're um, that you're using, or, or can I release my own collateral and then still have the credit in the system to actually get less credit? Uh, that's like,
1: it's making, it's making the reputation longer than temporary. And, and the system that Colin's talking about, he wants to maintain that reputation over time through multiple collateralizations. And because Ah, and and returns of that type of thing, so that uh, he's he ends up being a good actor on a system. So it's more just it's more like a reputation, a long term reputation system than a short term one.
3: Yeah. Uh, So essentially, what you can do is um, right now how balance is designed, um, it's it's synchronous. So we have a set. Duration of the rounds and if you don't do anything in the next round uh, You get actually up to the or well, you get demoted to the previous layer um, so Say there's a pause and you don't do anything and you don't interact um, Then your collateral in the next rounds will be higher again. Um, I think on the uh, There's a couple of, of things here. So one is like an implementation thing. Um what you would kind of need to is in your protocol to allow actors actually to withdraw parts of their collateral so that uh, if you have a lot of collateral provided and you can reduce them that you can actually get that collateral out because then only then you can actually sort of reduce the the, the cost factor. Um, so that's a method that needs to be implemented in, in the contract. And the other thing is obviously, you know, Uh, do we have some sort of long-term collateral and um, this is (laughs) it's a great question it's an open question that I am having as well is you know what if you only have these very sporadic interactions with protocols then balance in its current form may not be kind of the solution to the problem Uh, because you have the synchronous continuous rounds. And if you don't do anything, like you did something nice, but then in the next round or, you know, you participate every half a year or so in the protocol, then it's only, or it doesn't really add anything. What do you lose by
1: bastardizing your protocol and turning it into a long-term reputation system?
3: Yeah, so you can't just, you know, doing it like long-term because um, we don't want to... End up in situations where you uh turn malicious at at just some point in time um what might work uh but we haven't tested it is either making the protocol asynchronous so that we really we just consider your actions and in a sense only when you interact and we get information about you uh, as an agent only then we adjust your layers um Yeah, that's, that's a bit of a question. So right now it's, it's again, it's synchronous. So, um, we need to analyze exactly how that would work in an asynchronous system. Um, the other question that is coming up in that matter is, can we actually do reputation transitivity? So what if we would implement balance, not like in a single protocol, but what if we would implement balance on like a Ethereum level? Um, And you can have reputation across different protocols that decide to feed into the balance contracts. So uh, individual protocols would sort of define uh, what are good actions and would get feedback to the balance contracts. I think that's a really interesting question. Um, <laughs> it's one that needs a lot of careful consideration because you could just start deploying random protocols that would report that your action, uh, that your agent is doing all sorts of great things, um, and then that has picked on other protocols. So, I think it's quite a delicate problem, um, but it's one that could work around this problem with, or where you could have protocols where you. Interact quite often, and some protocols where you just have very few interactions, but they could both profit from from the collateral reduction. Um, yeah, but this again is that's sort of going further than what the current balance paper is.
2: Yeah. So this is a this is really like this is really good for incentivizing things like TrueBit, where you are supposed to constantly be interacting with with the protocol itself in order to like. For instance, uh, validate uh, or, or create, uh, you know, computation for somebody else, uh, uh, c- compute something on their, on their behalf, um, you know, run a smart contract off chain on their behalf. Um, like this is something you should be doing frequently and get rewarded for and that kind of thing. And if you wanted to get CPU tokens, you know, you'd have to find some way of breaking into that system. And one way to do that would be collateralization. Um, and then that gives you a reputation system, uh, well, not sort of a reputation system in, in, in through balance. So you could actually keep doing that more and more and more and actually earn more true tokens as a result. Uh, is that, is that like an accurate, like re- reasoning behind the balance protocol? Like that's what you, that's the ideal case for what you currently built.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, we started out with, applying it for for the xline protocol and there you have like these these vaults that need to lock up collateral and then we need want to ensure that um that they release bitcoin back on the bitcoin chain um to from the bitcoin back tokens and it's really about this being an interactive protocol and uh, we're currently looking into Dai because Dai is already the first problem where when you open up your cdp like it kind of it's just there right don't necessarily have these continuous interactions. Um, so it's, it's really a question how to apply it to, say, uh, in quotation marks, like, passive protocols. Um, yeah.
0: I would like to also chip in. Um, it's a good point that you mentioned, if you have an initial very high collateralization ratio. Um, I think it depends a lot on how fast can you move down to lower layers, right? Then the, the initial higher cost might not be that bad. Um, because you might just uh, get get the get the difference back earlier.
2: Yeah, it, it definitely. Though, like when you hear collateralization in the typical sense, it's it, to me it's like a one off. Like in my brain, it's like a one off. You know, I'm doing this once. Okay, I want to get some dye, so I go out and I, I collateralize and I get my dye. Okay, now I have dye, right? But this is a repeated. This ben, this is a system that, that that is built and designed around the idea of a repeated and constant use, and 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 it's for high volume systems or high high utility systems that, um, might not uh, traditionally fit into people's mental model around collateral, which is evolved around, which which, when most people hear collateral, I think that it's fair to say that they kind of associate it with like, Oh, I'm putting up my house. so I could get a loan, you know what I mean? Or that kind of thing. So I could get a business loan, you know, my house is my collateral for my business loan, you know, that, that's like a one-off, but in this case, it's like a repeated, like system for high volume, like, or not even necessarily high volume, but frequent um uses constant yeah
3: yeah um i guess where the sort of the big difference is where if you would put up collateral right with your bank to get a financing for your house um we kind of in the decentralized finance system like the bank would need to put up the collateral so really balance is more for the bank kind of side of things for like a The service provider because we don't want to trust the bank anymore but we want to trust the bank because the bank has actually provided collateral and balance is the one that can help the banks or the new type of banks um, or the new service providers in that case um, with uh, for them to be more efficient and to reduce their opportunity costs. Um, but you're right. Like how balance is designed at the moment, it's for these continuous interactions and it's aimed at like service providers that actually have continuous interactions.
1: All right. I think that's a, I think that's a decent way to start wrapping up. Are there any, are there any questions that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't get around to asking either one of you? Got them all. Perfect. Don't, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: it. cool. But, so, no, we got the coverage. Awesome.
3: Yeah, no, it's <laughs> pretty awesome. Pretty like, much, yeah. really, really
2: good.
3: Yeah, really great questions. Um, I guess one one other point that that uh, we can add on the on the balance protocol is um, yeah, going back to that idea of applying it to like a blockchain wide system. I think that could be a really cool idea because. In, in that sense, you have a lot of these service providers. Also, when you think about things like Casper uh, FFG, uh, where you have these on chain staking things and you have validators that really interact on a continuous basis, I think these are sort of the interesting uh, use cases. Um, but yeah, so we will have to look a bit more in detail how that will actually work out.
2: It does kind of sound like a staking mechanism a little bit, you know? Um, but you'd have to be able to get an ROI out of it in order for there to be value on the stake. And I, I don't know if there's currently a mechanism to do that in your protocol, right?
1: Well, a goal yeah. is uh, to reduce the, like say there's a, a given, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe take a um, just a, an idea out there. Uh, if we talk about F2.0 and the staking mechanism for being a validator, um, there's, it's, there's a certain ROI on being a validator Um, maybe there's some type of thing built into this in such a way where like over, like the the goal is to find the minimal amount of money that you can stake to get this type of thing, but also disincentivize people from entering the system and and misbehaving immediately. So like in order to get to that optimal amount, you can just start with a larger collateralization or staking for that matter for that ROI and then slowly move down to one that's like the the optimal number um so that you know the people who are at that optimal level are relatively good behavior and good behavior people in that system um so like it just it just right. takes a certain amount of time to get to the point where you're op, or you're operating at an optimal level as opposed to entering operating and then you know
2: and, and what yeah. could be also very well the problem is that then they have to continually input more stake in order to reduce well, you know yeah. what i mean they only get benefit from that so really though i mean if you think about it that's kind of more like like, then you have the issue of, like, does their interest outweigh the amount of, you know, bad behavior that they're putting in? Uh, you know, so if they decide to be Byzantine for whatever reason, um, if they've acquired enough interest to outweigh the collateral, then, you know, or it could be a way to force an exit. Like, if, you're, if your interest in your collateral are over this threshold, then you must no longer be a validator. You must restake. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of a thought. It's it's just, it seems like it's another,
1: it's another tool in the toolbox that people can use to try and align incentives and appropriately, while also being efficient for like um, optimizing capital lockup. Right? You want to make sure that people make the most money in a fair way out of the money that they're putting into a system. Without yeah, exactly reducing security, of course, which is kind of the whole goal of this whole paper is to do this in such a way where you don't reduce the security of people doing this type of thing.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, in... sorry, um... sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say yeah, it's important that we make sure kind of that not everybody is on the edge, right? Um, so, it's it's still very important that, that uh, there's transparency and everybody can can kind of optimize their particular stake and, and, and revenue, um, but without kind of um, putting at risk the overall system whereby a, a rational or maybe a partially irrational adversary could could come in and, and cause major damage.
1: Yeah, I'll put in the work if you're going to be irrational. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean essentially when you think about like a validator in a proof of stake protocol kind of thing and let's say the validator puts in uh, 200% collateral at the beginning so two 200 ETH and um, then the validator over time can reduce to 175 ETH then the validator doesn't necessarily have to put up new collateral he can basically take out existing collateral like the 25 ETH over time um, and have Sort of less opportunity cost. So either you know using the other 25 ETH at a rate of 175% to continue staking, or use it in some other protocol as well. Um, maybe get some DAI. Maybe go to a Compound, earn an interest there. Um, yeah, over time, uh, by
1: being a good behavior, by being a, a good behavior agent. I don't know. I don't know the right yeah. term for that. That's a terrible <laughs> way to say it. Um, <laughs> uh, you get to reduce your opp- your opportunity cost of the money you lock up. And that's 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 a good thing. That's something you would want to do as someone who's locking money up over over a long period of time.
3: Yes, exactly. That's the that's the whole point. And then, uh, yeah, the 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 cool thing would be you you know if the validator has two hundred ETH locked up or one hundred seventy five ETH, um, you get the same motivation to behave honestly from those two two agents.
2: Yeah, and and without slashing conditions too. So it's not like that, you know, if they were, if there was like a, uh, if this were to apply to any snake, staking scenario, it would be a good way to stake without slashing, and that you're just losing opportunity value, and nobody wants to lose money. Right, so, well, no,
1: you get like say, say you, you misbehave, you get pushed back to another level. I think that's what it says in the at least yeah. the, the the website. Yeah, well,
2: yeah and exactly.
1: In that case, so, you have to put money in. Work. That's kind of like slashing. I don't know. You're right.
2: You don't lose anything. Your because slashing you is more lose. of an
1: opportunity cost type thing than I than yep. like an actual losing money cool um, um where do people cool. go to learn more
3: ah oh, sorry I didn't get your uh, last question yeah where do people go to learn more ah uh, um, so on the balance- research uh website is like a quick overview of the protocol and uh, there is a link to the github and there's a link to the paper. So there's like a proof of concept implementation uh, on the GitHub in Solidity. There's, uh, uh, if anybody's really into Mathematica, there's a whole mathematical model of the thing and you can play around with your own values.
1: Yay. Um,
3: there's, <laughs> yay. There's a X-frame, uh application in a Mathematica model. So if you kind of want to have your own protocol in there, you can use that. And otherwise, I guess, uh, reaching out to Arthur and me um we we're happy to help <laughs> awesome we'll add that stuff in the show
1: notes so people can play around with it and uh, get in touch with you guys uh that was that's been fun thanks for coming on the show
2: yeah thanks guys
0: thanks so much colin and Corey, for the for the great questions cool yeah thank you very much